Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 1 of Horty Springer's Health Law Expressions, a podcast on cutting-edge health law topics that hopefully will become a regular feature on our website and the Health Law Express newsletter. I'm Dan Mulholland, and with me today is my partner, Henry Casal. Today's topic is the recent change in the tax laws that will impose an excise tax on excess compensation paid by exempt organizations, the so-called triple X provisions of last year's tax reform law. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. Yourself? Oh, I can't complain, thank you, other than the fact that Congress and the IRS continue to make everybody's life more complicated with a lot of uh, new regulations, and this one may hit home to a lot of hospitals and health systems, at least some hospitals and health systems that have executives and certain other employees who are paid more than a million dollars. What this law did was create a new section of the Internal Revenue Code called IRC Section 4960. It imposes a 21% excise tax on any remuneration paid in excess of $1 million to covered employees of the organization, and it applies to certain applicable tax-exempt organizations. Now, we're going to go through that in some detail, but Henry, this is something that's imposed on the employer, not the employee, correct? Absolutely, and it's effective for tax years beginning after December 31st, 2017, so it begins on January 1st, 2018. In effect, it's, it's in effect right now, uh, but if your fiscal year starts later this year, in 2018, uh, it'll be effective for that fiscal year beginning in 2018. Right. And the reason for the tax was described in the House Ways and Means Committee report. This report was both educational and, if you're a tax-exempt organization, quite frightening. Uh, What it specifically described is that it noted that publicly held for-profit corporations are precluded from deducting more than a million dollars in compensation for key employees. They then use that as a rationale for explaining how this provision merely, uh, in their view, levels the playing field, whereby so that they're treating tax-exempt organizations in a manner that are similar to publicly held for-profit corporations. What the frightening part of the report was how they described the tax advantages currently enjoyed by tax-exempt organizations, such as the fact that when an individual contributes money to a tax-exempt organization, it is deductible from that individual's tax returns. Also, any income that a tax-exempt organization will earn is obviously exempt from federal tax. The frightening part of it is the fact that they are now equating the benefits that tax-exempt organizations have always taken for granted. The House Ways and Means Committee is now describing as a benefit to the tax-exempt organizations, which we find very frightening because it may make it easier for Congress to rationale to provide a rationale for treating tax-exempt organizations very differently than they may have in the past. And, you know, they, they already made a number of inroads in that, not just with this law, but the tax reform bill last December also had a number of provisions dealing with unrelated business income earned by exempt organizations that makes it more and more difficult to shield expenses against revenue from various parts of the organization. Each unrelated business income activity has to be siloed and can only take deductions against that income. So there's a lot that they're doing, and this is not even low-hanging fruit. Uh, It's fruit laying on the ground as far as Congress is concerned in terms of 
picking up revenue in a politically acceptable manner. Right. You always have to consider, and tax-exempt organizations, I don't think, have ever really thought of themselves in this way, but at a time when it's politically difficult, if not impossible, to raise taxes, and when you may be facing increasing budget deficits, one way the government can raise revenue is to shrink, if not eliminate, exemptions. So the hospital, tax-exempt hospitals and other tax-exempt organizations need to be on their guard to recognize that it's not business as usual and you have to constantly be justifying and showing the benefits that accrue to the area and the community through your tax-exempt status. The Ways and Means Committee also made it clear that they viewed the compensation over a million dollars paid to senior executives to be excessive corporation excessive compensation that diverts resources from exempt purposes. And again, they're trying to level the playing field and align the tax treatment between for-profit publicly held corporations and tax-exempt employers, which from Congress's perspective appears to make the taxes fairer for all businesses. What they failed to mention was the fact that the exclusion and the, from the deductibility of compensation over a million dollars only applies to publicly held for-profit corporations. So privately held for-profit corporations are not subject to these rules and are treated in a preferential basis now when compared to both publicly traded for-profits and now tax-exempt organizations. Now, the tax-exempt organizations that this new law applies to include any organization exempt from tax under Section 501A of the tax code. That includes all 501c3 organizations, which means that all nonprofit hospitals and health systems could potentially be covered by this. Also, it applies to state and local governmental entities. Those entities aren't technically exempt from tax. Congress just doesn't impose a tax because they're run by state or local governments. But if you had a hospital district that paid somebody in excess of a million dollars, even though it didn't have its own C3 exemption, it could be covered. Now, Henry, what kind of employees are covered by this? The covered employees include the five highest compensated employees in the current tax year and any employee who was one of the five highest compensated employees for any preceding tax year beginning after December 31st, 2016. So that means that once you're on the list, you're going to continue on the list for all time. If at some point starting this year, an employee of a tax-exempt organization got paid more than a million bucks, then even though in subsequent years that individual may be off, they'll come back on if they're paid a million dollars, but the list will continually grow. Absolutely. And, And again, repeating what you said earlier, this is a tax on the employer so that the employer is constantly going to have to pay an excise tax that they're going to have to work into their budget. That's right. And it applies basically to any wages that are reported as paid to the employee on their W-2 form. It also can apply to certain deferred compensation arrangements under Section 457F once the substantial risk of forfeiture goes away and the benefit vests, even though that isn't immediately paid out to the individual. So that's what gets calculated into the determination of whether you paid somebody more than a million bucks. But Henry, it doesn't apply to everybody, right? Right. And in a move that is good news to hospitals and health systems and only was 
uh, stuck into the bill at, at the very last minute. The remuneration paid to physicians directly related to, per, to the performance of medical services is excluded from this excise tax. In other words, if you have a physician who earns more than a million dollars in compensation a year for the provision of health care services, the laying on of hands, professional services, this uh, excise tax would not apply to that compensation. If, on the other hand, you have a physician who provides administrative services, such as a chief medical officer who makes more than a million dollars, then the excise tax would apply. One other benefit that we don't think Congress really gave much thought to is the fact that they have, in effect, recognized that certain physicians earn more than a million dollars a year. They didn't make any comment on it. They just merely, by excluding it, created a argument, at least, that for stark purposes, anti-kickback purposes, and purposes of private inurement and impermissible private benefit under the tax laws, that just because a physician makes more than a million dollars a year doesn't mean that you're, they're being paid on reasonable compensation. However, that'll depend on the facts and circumstances, what the physician's specialty is and how reasonable it is to pay that compensation given the professional services that that physician provides. Yeah, and I think it's a good argument that could be made. And, you know, interestingly enough, it applies to dentists and veterinarians too. Not sure how many exempt organizations employ veterinarians, but if you had one and you pay more than a million bucks, you exclude that from remuneration. But the fact that they excluded this from remuneration, the definition of remuneration, has some interesting results. For instance, you could have a situation where the five highest employees include physicians who are all making north of a million dollars, and the CEO might be the sixth highest compensated employee. The CEO is making more than a million dollars, but in that case, there's no tax because the five highest are still counted as the five highest if they're doctors. You just knock their remuneration out, and uh, that means that the CEO who's number six on the list, doesn't get uh, counted. However, if the CEO got on there in the first year and then later he's still making north of a million, but the doctors drop off of it, uh, there could be an imposition of the tax. So there's a lot of permutations of this that result in some interesting things when you look at how it, at least on its face, it works. Now, Henry, there's no way to get around this by trying to apportion income of these individuals through different corporations, right? Now, the tax law specifically recognized that remuneration includes amounts paid by related organizations that are controlled, that control or controlled by the tax-exempt organization under control with their supported organizations or supporting organizations. So pretty much, no matter how you would want to try to divide income amongst the various boxes on your corporate diagram, you're not going to get away be able to do that and avoid this tax. They'll aggregate it for the purposes of the tax. And it also applies to something known as excess parachute payments, separate and apart from any regular income that's earned by the individual. That's a payment contingent on separation from employment. Uh, somebody gets canned, somebody retires, uh, somebody separates for whatever reason. And if there's a payment to them, other than a couple that I'll mention in a minute, for instance, a settlement agreement with somebody who's departing or severance pay, if that's more than three times the amount of their base compensation uh, average for the last five years, there's a formula in the statute, 
then that would be an excess parachute payment, even if it's technically under a million dollars. So a lot of times organizations that have a highly compensated executive who separates from employment will have an unusually high amount reported on the 990 form. And that needs to be looked at to see if that triggers an excess parachute payment and that needs to be reported. Now, these parachute payments do not include payments under a qualified retirement plan, a simplified employee pension plan, or a simple retirement account. So basically, they're severance agreements or payments that were other than the usual course in terms of a retirement plan. So what do you do? Well, you're going to have to figure out this year who your five highest compensated employees are. And then you exclude from that list doctors who are paid more than a million bucks for physician services and medical services. And if any of them remaining, you ought to look at what their tax liability might be So at least you can budget for this because this tax would be something that you're going to have to pay next year when you file your tax return. And so the other thing you should do is consider deferral opportunities. Review and revise your executive and physician compensation policies as needed and review and revise physician contracts to make sure that clinical and administrative services and compensation for those services is clearly delineated, especially as you're getting close to that million-dollar cap. Also, you may want to look at your pension plans if you have a a non-qualified deferred comp program. You want to look at that to see what the effect of this law and this tax will be because many of those plans have been in place for a number of years now and this law is brand new. So I hope this has been helpful to you and I hope you'll tune in to subsequent podcasts that we're going to be presenting. If you have any questions about what we talked about today, feel free to call either Henry or I at 412-687-7677 or send us an email. Mine's dmulholland, D-M-U-L-H-O-L-L-A-N-D at hortyspringer.com. And Henry? H. Cassell, H-C-A-S-A-L-E at hortyspringer.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.